When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Addo Bolden is at the starting line of the Olympic 200-meter final. It's 1996, Atlanta. I'm like, this is going to be easy. (laughs) See that smile? Before the race, he looks cool and collected. His hands are on his hips, and he flexes his arms a few times as he looks down the track. The sun glints off his bright red sunglasses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, the Oakleys. I, that, was my, uh, that was my trademark. He's a college senior running for Trinidad and Tobago. At 22, he's the youngest in the lineup. And honestly, he looks about as loose and confident as anyone on the track, which is impressive given who else is in this race with him. But that's kind of the point. He has nothing to lose. I'm completely relaxed because Michael is the big favorite. Michael is about, what, 10 years maybe older than me. And I was a college senior at this point. Just a few lanes over on the track is Michael Johnson. And Johnson is already a track legend. He was kind of an idol to Atto. He basically grew up watching Johnson run. This is literally my your idols become rivals moment. Atto gets into his starting blocks. And then... The gun fires, and the pack takes off. And for the first hundred, I don't see Michael. So at this point, nobody's caught me yet. I'm like, look at me. Nobody's caught me. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm winning. Well, we know how it ended. All of a sudden, I just, I, I hear him, and I feel him, and now he's gone. Imagine being in a, in a Ferrari, and you have your foot planted to the floor your right foot's planted to the floor and somebody comes and passes you you are surprised because you're like i'm in something high performance and i have my foot to the floor and this guy just blew me away so now i'm a spectator i'm watching this race the same way you are but when he sees the time johnson ran to win that race it's like what 19-3 who runs 19-3 in that race Atto, in some combination of awe and disbelief, bows to Michael. It was like, oh my gosh, you like all, you know, hail to you. I, I don't know, I don't even know what that was. 
You might remember from episode one that I was at this race too. I was six years old and up in the stands with my dad. When I saw that race, I felt like I had just seen real life superheroes. It was my first Olympic dream moment, my first look at Olympic greatness. And it's a moment I thought about a lot when I was trying to make it to the Olympics myself. But when I watch the race now, it's Atto I'm drawn to. The way he made it so close to his biggest dream, a gold medal, and then just barely fell short. And despite that, he's still grateful just to be there. Some people think that maybe I don't enjoy watching the race. I actually do. Because despite the fact that, you know, I'm on the wrong end of a world record race, I know this is as fast as I was going to run that night. That was as good as I was going to finish. Hey, you got to be ready for your moment. And Michael knew. Look, if Michael had lost this race, he wouldn't be a household name in America. For the past three years, I was trying to qualify for this year's Olympics in 3x3 basketball with Team USA. It's meant waking up early to train before work, and it's meant traveling to China or Japan or Europe on Wednesday night, playing in a tournament that weekend, and being back on a flight home on Sunday night. Then on Monday, it was back to training and working my day job. It was a lot, but as our chance to qualify came closer, it all felt worth it for this dream of walking out into the opening ceremony alongside some of my sports heroes. And in May, our Olympic qualifying tournament came. We needed to finish in the top three to make it to Tokyo. And we didn't. So I didn't go to the Olympics, at least not this year. It's a hard pill to swallow. I think that I saw Tokyo as the potential pinnacle of my sports career. Honestly, I think I saw the Olympics as a neat but glorious ending to this journey in basketball. But now, my next chance to make it to the Olympics is three years away. And I just don't know. Three more years of kind of building my life around basketball and travel and training is daunting. I now find myself asking a question that a lot of athletes eventually have to face. How long should you pursue the Olympic dream? When do you keep going? And when do you stop? I can tell you that as somebody who never won Olympic gold, I can tell you this. The further away you get from this qualification attempt, the more you will appreciate it, one, and two, the more lessons you will see in having made the attempt. I'm Kareem Maddox, and this is The Greatness. This episode, Atto interviews me about my story, a story that starts nearly six years ago behind a different microphone. This is KUNC 91.5 FM. Stories that matter, voices you trust. I'm Kareem Maddox. Thanks for being with us. In 2016, I spent my afternoons behind a microphone in a small town called Greeley, Colorado. I was hosting the local broadcast of NPR's All Things Considered. It was a job I had hustled for about three years to get. And it was a serious pivot from basketball. So you had played basketball but then you felt at some point that getting a real job 
would have been um, a better choice because you had had enough of basketball? I think I was always, you know, good enough at basketball to play at a certain level, whether that was like college or professional, but um, maybe didn't possess the love of the game that you need to really make it to the highest levels of the sport, right? Right. At a certain level of sports, training has to take some measure of priority in your life. And you have to engage in it knowing that all of it still might not be good enough. Addo Bolden retired from running. These days, he's a commentator for track and field on NBC. And having lived in both the worlds of professional sports and media, he gets why I wanted to get into radio in the first place. I get the sense that you have what I have, and that is you struggle between <laughs> the, the, the practical and sort of the, um, you know, the, the, the possible. Yeah. No, certainly. It's hard to work hard in one thing um, and really, like, devote yourself to it if you see all these other options, which might be equally as interesting or equally as, you know, lucrative or whatever the case may be. And to have to make the decision um, to say, okay, like I do both of these things kind of well, um, which one do I actually want to be great at? And you ended up in broadcasting. Is that something that you had always wanted to do? I just really loved radio. Like I loved um, storytelling and I loved journalism. And I think something that I carried over from basketball was that you always have to prove yourself and like no matter what you do if you're going to do something new mm -hmm. you're going to have to start and you know outwork people if you want to get to the heights of whatever that thing is i enjoyed the idea that i was you know nobody in radio and in broadcasting it was a way to take the competitive drive that i had you know aimed at basketball for so long and put it towards something else and so I just kind of pursued that ultimately to like a hosting gig and I was excited about it. I felt like it was um, the right step. Was that a dream job for you? It was, I, I thought it was. I'd played basketball in college and then abroad for a few years. But as I kept on playing, I had this nagging voice in my head saying, it's time to get a real job and move on with your life. And it kept getting louder. So I followed it to Greeley. Greeley is a quiet place, and I only knew one person when I got there. Because my job started and ended later than everyone else's at the station, I spent a lot of time on my own. How do you now that you're semi-established or established and you're doing your what you just said is your dream job, how do you then decide, yeah, now that I have this dream job and things are going really well, I want to go back to basketball and figure out if I have anything left. You know, I spent a lot of time kind of alone when I was in Greeley and how I spent my time, you know, first it was weightlifting, but then it was just getting onto a basketball court because a basketball court was attached to the gym that I worked out at. Mm -hmm. I remember watching the, I think it was the 2016 NBA Finals, which were like the Cavs versus the Warriors. And one of those games, I just really came to appreciate the way Steph Curry shoots the ball. And it, it, it just like occurred <laughs> to me that like shooting the ball is like such a craft. Um, it's, it's a, you know, Steph Curry turns it into a fine art. Mm -hmm. And... It was really beautiful to watch, and 
I think the thing I thought was like, I want to keep creating beauty in that way. Mm-hmm. That result, that dunk, that play, that, that you know, singular jump shot is the result of, of all these, you know, hours of craftsmanship, of honing this like one little particular skill. And like, you know, I thought like I was 26, you know, I hadn't gone as far in basketball as I was capable of. That was the moment when, you know, the idea that if I don't go and play and see how far I can get, then I'm going to have regrets when I can't physically do this anymore. So now you're spending your mornings hosting shifts and shooting hoops. What is that like? There are some really, like, smaller things that I wanted to fine-tune. I wanted to see if I could become a good shooter. There's something about, like, that particular skill that I'm really excited to get better at. You just went, oh, this feels completely different to me than it ever has before. I wanted to play basketball again, full time, but I'd been out of the game for three years. So six days a week, I'd get to the gym at around eight o'clock and start working on my form. I built a regimen for myself. I'd start by standing near the basket. Then I'd sink 50 shots from up close and then just keep moving out till I was shooting three pointers. There was a rhythm to it. And I found myself getting into a flow state, that sweet spot between moving and thinking. I had taken an interest in like doing the little things and like um, finding finding the joy in like making myself better and like learning how to track my own progress. Yeah, that thing that you're describing is called athletic maturity. When you do something that you've always done before and suddenly it, it appears completely different to you. I felt like I was getting better, but I couldn't really know because I hadn't been playing against pros. Then I heard about a showcase in Las Vegas where athletes were scouted for overseas teams. A chance to test myself against pros and see if I actually still had it. When I showed up in Vegas, I had more confidence in myself than I had ever had before. And so when I got there, I was just like, the thing that I don't have is conditioning right now. (laughs) And so I have a three hour tryout and like, you know, you don't want to look like you're out of shape, but I was definitely out of shape. And I was like, well, maybe caffeine will like <laughs> just get me, <laughs> just like, will get me through this three hours. And yeah, it did. You know, I had to play like more and I have to play harder because the thing that I always did was like outplay people and out hustle people. I can imagine you being completely wired. <laughs> So how did it go? The, the the tryout went well? I mean, I don't see how it could have not went well with all that caffeine. I think I played some of the best basketball I had like ever played. Oh, wow. The agent who was holding this tryout for all these European coaches <laughs> was like, dude, you killed it. It was kind of hard to believe. After three years off, I was seriously considering going back to basketball. I had to make some big changes after that. If you don't take the risk, you're never gonna get anywhere. When I told my mom, she encouraged me. I recorded the call when I spoke to her about it, an old radio habit. 
I think it's great, and I think you're going for something you're really trying for. You're young enough, Kareem. You don't have any commitments like such. Do it. Go for it. I mean, you would regret it for the rest of your life if you didn't try it. My dad, on the other hand, didn't think it was the greatest idea. It's a very small, um, a small opening in terms of the people that can turn it into a career. It's not that easy. But I knew that if I didn't give basketball everything I had, I'd regret it forever. Kareem played basketball at Princeton. After graduation, in 2011, he played pro basketball in Holland and the United Kingdom before coming back home to work in public radio. But after three years behind the scenes and behind the mic, he's back in the game. Kareem Maddox is going to move to Poland later this month, and he'll play pro ball once again. Kareem Maddox joins us from the studios of NPR West. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Scott. If I saw the name of your new team in Poland and I had to pronounce it, I'd plots. How do we pronounce it? That's a good question. I still don't know. <laughs> we won't find out till we get there. I'll try Miastos Sizikla Krasno. How's that? Sounds good to me. So at this point, you get an offer to go play in Poland. What was your Poland experience like? Going over there was a big risk. Like, I signed a contract, I quit my job, I was there. There was really no going back. Like, there weren't many options. Mm -hmm. And so having to, like, reckon with that on a day-to-day -day basis, like, through good practices, through bad practices, through good games and bad games where I was like, oh, this is not good. And, and so I think, like, right. having to deal with that over and over again throughout the course of that year was uh, made me, like, stronger and also i think it just made me like have to center myself and just be learn how to live in the moment playing overseas is kind of like being a basketball mercenary you show up in a foreign country like poland and everything is new the language the people the food and you try to live a normal life you go to the store try to navigate the streets in your team issued car make friends with your teammates, and try to figure out time differences so you can talk to your people back home. And then you hear that there's a new category of basketball coming and it's going to be in the Olympics, 3x3. How long before you heard about it did you decide, you know what, that's gonna be my entry into the Olympic Games? It was a no-brainer, like it was It was instant. It, to answer the question, it was, it was almost instantaneous. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I just, I knew that I was good for 3x3, maybe better than mm -hmm. I was for 5-on-5. Five five. What about this version of the game made you think that it suited you better? There's not a lot of time to think. You have to play on instinct. There's a 12-second shot clock, so the play, the play moves really fast. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm better when I don't think, when I think less. Um, mm -hmm. It also is like a, a game that's built around versatility. There's only three players on each team on the court at a time. And your team is like, it's literally your team against the world when you step on the court for those 10 minutes. And there's no help to be had. No one's coming down to call the right play or make an adjustment that you're not gonna make yourself. I made the switch. I moved back to the US started playing on a 3x3 team on the professional circuit and gearing up for the next big international tournament. 
the World Cup. Kareem, you guys, the U.S. team has been doing well, right? We have been. We're 4-0 in full play, so undefeated so far in, the, in this World Cup. My team, Team USA, kind of unexpectedly crushed the World Cup. We went undefeated in seven games, starting with Serbia, unanimously the best 3x3 team in the world. And from there, we were rolling. We won most of our next games pretty comfortably. Our team had already played together on the professional circuit, so we knew how to work together as a group. We had the best 3x3 World Cup performance of any country in the history of that tournament because of how in sync our team was. Standing on the podium felt awesome. It was the first World Cup win in the sport for the USA, and we were all so proud of that. We earned that win. I would say it was the happiest moment in my basketball career. And Atto had a moment like this too. I was the first person to win the under 20 world championships at, at both 100 and 200 meters. I was a world champion. You, you know what it's like to stand on the top of that podium and get your medal. And it, there aren't too many things in life that, that compare to that. In my sport, being world champion is a two and uh, being Olympic champion is a one. And nobody wants to be two. Everybody wants to be one. I cannot be dishonest with you. Nothing feels the same as being on an Olympic podium. Hi, my name's Ben Lewis, host of the new series Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world. I'll explore some of the most shocking art crimes and biggest scandals. I know it's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. There's no honor among thieves. I would like the European and Western countries, including the United States, to recognize their crimes. It's about murder in the name of art. Tune in to Art Bust, scandalous stories of the art world, an Antica and USG audio production, available wherever you get your podcasts. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We kept playing well through the winter of 2019 and kept our eyes on Tokyo. And then, you know what happened. COVID hit. Instead of practicing with my new team, who needed practice time together more than anything, I found myself quarantined alone, like everyone else. I spent most of the pandemic searching for hoops so that I could practice, but they were hard to come by. In Los Angeles, where I'm based, most of them had two by fours hammered over the rims. I remember one time I found this scrappy outdoor hoop in a church parking lot and practiced there for two days. But on the third day, Someone had taken the rim down. 
I even hit up my old high school coach to see if he'd let me sneak into the gym at school. He did. But my biggest problem was that you can't train for a team sport alone. Because of the pandemic, our whole team was isolated in different places across the country. We texted and called and checked in. What's up? It's your boy Remy F, baby. Gold medal Remy. I tried to keep us connected by sending voice memos. I was just thinking, um, uh, it's us four. It's us four against the world, literally. And, um, you know, I just want to, like, create a space for us to, uh, to start to, like, you know, act like that. I mean... I think it's a it's a big task, and I think we're more than equipped to do it. Um, and the one piece that is still up in the air is like we just haven't had time together. So um, I think we can get over that quickly. Um, we're going to win every game by double digits, potentially. I think we're going to be that good. You know, we're going to have a lot of fun along the way, and then we're going to take that right to right to Tokyo, gold medal, Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games in 3x3 basketball. Gold medal, Remy out. But gameplay chemistry doesn't come from group chats. And now that you've had a chance to sort of look back on it, can you look back now and say, yeah, well, that was kind of, you know, the problem. Because if you have a team that's only three people and they don't have perfect chemistry, well, they're not going to be able to qualify for the Olympic Games. I, you know... Throughout the pandemic, a lot of teams that we knew that we were going to have to play, you know, we felt like we're doing a lot more than we were able to do here in the States. Mm -hmm. And that means they were playing in leagues that were happening in Russia. And, you know, we, we weren't playing in those leagues, just factually. We just weren't. Right. Finally, when it started being safer earlier this year, we started meeting up and practicing in a COVID bubble. We even made it to a tournament overseas. And there was a lot of media attention. We were still the surprise American stars of the Olympics' newest sport and the favorites to make it to Tokyo. What the reporters didn't catch was what was happening behind the scenes. By the time we were really training together, a month before the Olympic qualifying tournament, we weren't where we needed to be. I sometimes worried, but I told myself to stay positive. Don't even think about what could go wrong. Don't give it any attention. So the qualification continues, and then you get to the final match. Tell me your memories from the match, first of all. Tell me about what it was like while you were actually going through it. Every 3x3 game is a dogfight. It's hyper-physical, and it's, there's a lot of variability. Like, when a game is 10 minutes long, you know, it's not always the, the best or the most talented team that's going to win. That's right. It's going to be who plays better that day, who has better chemistry. And, um, you know, I think that our mindset, like, despite everything else, was okay. And, you know, looking back on it, you know, we didn't play as, as poorly as I thought we did, mm -hmm. but we made a lot of little mistakes, too, that I think are a product of, you know, not having the right chemistry, not, not having enough time to build the chemistry that we really needed. Right. I'd love to ask you about this. Is like, 
you know, there's, you know, removing failure from your vocabulary mm-hmm. as you focus on winning, on succeeding. And then there's like being realistic. But now in, in hindsight, we're like, well, of course the things we were worried about turned out to be the things that, you know, sunk us. I can tell you that when I initially started to read uh, your story, particularly how qualification ended, I said, if I ever get this, you know, get this guy's ear, I'm going to tell him to get back in there and you don't want to have the uh, the story end this way. And, you know, you, you'll always look back. And, and I thought about my own life and my own career. And I realized, wait a minute, I retired in 2004 and I had not won an Olympic gold medal. On the night that I retired in 2004, everybody who knew me, I was 30 years old, everybody said, oh, you're going to be back. There's no way you're going to leave it you know, there because you have more to, to do and more to accomplish and more people to inspire. And I not only never came back, I never so much as looked in the side view mirror or the rear view mirror to see what was going on behind me. Now, of course, eventually I ended up as a broadcaster in the sport and now I'm also a coach in the sport. But I don't look back at my career with a ton of regret or what if or stuff that I left on the table. So as a result, I think my advice to you is you have to just kind of search your own heart. And if you feel like you've left it, you know, done and you've given all you can, then I say just just go on. But what now that you've had some time between you and that game? What are your feelings about giving it another go? Right now, it's fresh in my mind, and I'm, you know, frustrated and and embarrassed and angry about it. So why would you be embarrassed about having attempted to do something which everybody in every sphere of life knows the hardest thing to do is to get to the Olympic Games. So I I thought it was an interesting choice of words. Why would you be embarrassed? I I think embarrassed because, you know, as as you prepare during qualifications, like you're the only thing I allowed myself to keep in my mind is that, you know, I am an Olympian. I Mm -hmm. am going to compete in Tokyo. You know, I think that putting yourself out there for so long and saying, like, I'm going to do this thing that is, you know, notoriously difficult and then not being able to 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 finish the task, I think, is you feel fraudulent in a way. Right. I went to my first Olympics at 18. My last one was at 30. And the ones in between are the ones where I was actually a factor and won my four medals. I was one of the top sprinters in the world in two events for six, seven years. And then I was back home in Trinidad in 2002, and a drunk driver hit me head on. And I didn't know it at the time, but I would never be the same. The joy of competing was taken away from me because every time I got at the top speed, I felt like something, it didn't feel right. Something was wrong in my body and nobody could figure it out. What did it feel like to not be able to to get up to top speed or to get up to top speed and feel like you were gonna you know, break in some way? It's the worst feeling in the world. It's like getting your favorite car on the highway and you start to plant your right foot and everything is good at 60 and 70 
and 80 and the car hits 85 and all of a sudden you get that weird shimmy and it drives you nuts because you're like, wait a minute, this is a high performance car. Why is it at 85 miles per hour? And I can hear the back seat rattling and I can hear my keys rattling in the glove compartment. Like, why is this happening? It was the most frustrating time of my life. But I knew that I was not the sprinter that I was before that accident. So I go to 2003's World Championships and I don't make the final. That's the first time that's happened to me in my adult life. And quite frankly, everybody's like, what? Because I'm the guy that not only makes the final, I always come home with medals. And then in 2004 at the Olympic Games in Athens, I'm out in the very first round. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely done because there's no way I'm going from you know, Olympic medalist four times over to, you know, just here to make up numbers. I think one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm okay with is that I do feel like I did everything I could leading up to to this qualification thing. And, you know, you just you just come short. I guess it, it becomes an identity question. Like, you know, you're being, when you're being given attention for this thing that you do athletically, and then it turns out you can't do it as well as you used to, um, how do you grapple with that if you feel like you have not um you know accomplished all your goals talk to somebody who maybe got one rung below you and it will completely change your perspective because for somebody who's never won a gold medal talking to somebody who never won a medal is uh <laughs> it's it's eye open <laughs> because they have a completely different perspective so you didn't qualify for the Olympics, but somebody who never got a chance to even be on that path to qualifying for the Olympics, they'll look at your process and your journey and say, oh my gosh, I'd give anything for that. So it really is about perspective and that perspective changes um, as your life goes on. I don't know that anybody can, can truly advise you on this because I feel like at the end of the day, this is a very, very personal decision and one that you have to sort of almost um, search your soul to find the answer. You may watch the Tokyo tournament and go, there's no way that I'm not making another attempt at getting back to the Olympics because these guys aren't better than me. I've won before in this in this event and in this in this sport. And I don't want to be 70 years old or 75 years old and have my my experience be that yeah i tried and i made it and i and i and i almost made it and i never tried again that's just not how i'm built or you may just say nope <laughs> i've had enough and, and and i'm moving on i can see that like i don't think i'll ever truly leave basketball i think this is a big disappointment and no decisions need to be made you know now or even in the next year um but I, I'm I'm not going to give myself time to be to get disillusioned with the whole process, right? Like at the end of the day, it's about how you bounce back from moments like this, and whether that means bounce back on the court or off it. Um, I think I'm going to be all right, and I, I appreciate you sharing your story uh, to help me get there. You know, absolutely, and it was my pleasure. I know at the end of all of this, I can still shoot a basketball. It's starting at my feet. The movement works up to my knees, elbows, wrist. I release the ball and watch it arc. 
Though a shot is made up of all these tiny individual steps, when it's a good one, it all comes together in one fluid motion. Sometimes you do all the steps perfectly. The ball comes off your hand in just the right way. You finish on your toes where you're supposed to. And the ball has the perfect arc as it floats towards the rim. And you come back to earth, then look up. And you see the ball bounce off the rim. So you run across the court to grab it and shoot it again. This episode was produced by Jess Shane and Mitchell Johnson, with production support from Alex Sujong Laughlin and Greta Weber. Our executive editor is Sarah Nix. Executive producing by me, Kareem Maddox, along with Greta Cohn, Josh Block, and Jessica Grimshaw. Sound design by Alex Overington. Jasmine Flott is our music supervisor. This is a USG audio production in collaboration with Transmitter Media. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com. Thank you.